Our text this morning is John chapter 4, verses 25, all the way through 42. And I want to read it now. This is the Holy Word of God. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows another, and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him. Because of the woman's testimony, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Will you pray with me? Father, we plead with you now to work in us, in your word, Just as we sang, show us Christ. Let your word speak and by your spirit working through your word, change us that we might honor you. That we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated. I want to again stress for you the reason why we're reading this text John, when he finished up writing this gospel, told us that he wrote it so that we could believe in Jesus. He wanted us to see Jesus in action. He wanted us to see the power and the glory and the beauty of Jesus. And he wanted you and me and those who would read his book to have faith in Jesus based on what we saw. And that's what we want to do this morning. So we're going to do one more morning together and by the grace of God, finish this particular event in the ministry of Jesus as we see the conclusion of his encounter with the woman at the well in Samaria. Today, we're going to find four points together. But first, let's do our best to set the scene. John chapter 4, 25 to 27. Look at that. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman. 
But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? Those verses, I think, set the context of the remainder of this conversation. Jesus has already been speaking with this Samaritan woman at some length. He spoke to her first regarding something very simple. He, he asked for a drink of water. And he took that topic and he made it into a spiritual conversation about living water. When the woman was interested in living water, when, when she didn't really know what that meant, but she thought it might make her life easier, then Jesus turned the conversation at her sin. He exposed her adultery and he left her without defense. And this woman recognized Jesus as coming from God as a prophet. And she asked him about worship. And, and in that, she was asking Jesus, where do I go that I might make the sacrifice that would cover my sin? I genuinely believe that's what she was doing. And Jesus said something that changed her world by calling her not to this mountain or that mountain, this temple or that temple, but to a heart that worships God in spirit and truth. After Jesus called the woman to true worship, she expressed a deep desire to see the Messiah, the one who would come from God and make all the things about worship and sacrifice make sense to her. She had just heard the truth, but she wanted a person who could help her with it. And then Jesus, in a very uncharacteristic move, directly admits to this woman that he is the Messiah. And just then, as Jesus admits that he is Messiah by the sovereign hand of God, the disciples return from buying lunch in the village, and they're astonished that Jesus would be speaking to this Samaritan woman, and probably for several reasons. I mean, again, the woman should not normally have been there to draw water at that time of day. Jews did not normally speak with Samaritans. Men did not normally converse with women in that type of a setting. So lots of things lined up to surprise the disciples, but they didn't question Jesus about it. And now that the scene is set, you should be asking yourself, what next? What will the disciples learn about Jesus? What will the woman do with the truth that she's just heard and the Messiah she's just met? And how should we, who read it today, respond to the ways and the priorities of the Savior? The meat of the remainder of this passage appears to me to be in questions like those. So let's get started. Point number one for you note-takers. Point number one, Jesus changes people's hearts. Jesus changes people's hearts. Just without even going into the point, how many of you are glad that's a truth in Scripture? All right. Look at verse 28 to 30. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town. And we're coming to him. So we see the woman responding to Jesus here. I think you can see something is different. Something about this woman has changed. It's, it's often been said, no one can ever be in an encounter with God and leave it the same way as when they came in. I think that's true. Do you think that's true? If that's true, that should mean 
that none of us should be able to leave here this morning exactly the same as you were when you walked in. Why? Because, friends, God is present with us. We have sung songs of God's glory. We're hearing God's word, his revelation of himself to us. We can't leave here and be the same. Now, there's several clues that tell us this woman is different, different from the inside. She's got a changed heart. The first clue is that she leaves behind her water jar. That water jar is what brought her to the well. She was probably going there in the middle of the day to hide from everybody else because people didn't like her. And she probably hated that journey. She probably even hated that jar. And she asked Jesus, Jesus, give me living water. And the reason she wanted it was so that she would not ever have to go back to that well and draw water again. But now she leaves it behind as if she has no need to draw water, as if she indeed has the living spiritual water. If you take this woman's action symbolically, you see a sign there of a changed heart. But there are some who would say, oh, now, come on, you can't read spiritual satisfaction into the fact that the woman left behind her jar. Okay, that's fine. If you're not into the symbolism, I'm not going to argue that one. But it is certainly interesting that this woman left the well failing to carry back with her a valuable household utensil. Even if you don't read symbolism into her actions, you should see this woman is excited. And she's so excited that she leaves behind the one thing she carried there, something that's important. And I can tell you all for sure, this lady was not this excited when she arrived at the well. I think it's also possible that this woman who was initially skeptical or even hostile toward Jesus left that pitcher right there so Jesus could have the drink of water that he asked for at the beginning of the conversation. But either way, you and I should conclude from the presence of the pitcher that something has happened, something significant. When the woman leaves the well, she goes back to her town and she declares to the men of the town, I met a stranger who told me everything I've ever done. Now remember, when the woman first spoke to Jesus, she was not wanting to admit the things that had happened in her past. She tried to evade the truth to keep Jesus from knowing about her story of sexual immorality and adultery. Now she is totally willing to expose her sin to the scrutiny of the world if it will help others to see who Jesus is. This woman knows that something far more important than her reputation is at stake. And not only does the woman share with people that she met an incredible person, she invites them, come and see him too. She knows Jesus is from God. She believes Jesus is the Messiah. She wants the town to know. And her invitation for people to come and meet Christ, that is, well, let me ask you. We'll we'll pretend it's Sunday school for a second. What do we call it when you go to somebody, tell them the good news of Jesus and invite them to come and meet him? Evangelism. I heard it out there. Evangelism. Evangelism is telling people the good news of Jesus 
And all of us, if you're a Christian, should play a role in evangelism to one extent or another. It's not your job to force anybody to change. It's not your job to force anybody to believe. But as a Christ follower, all of us should be willing to prayerfully, honestly tell people the truth about the Savior, call them to repent, call them to believe, and leave the results in the hands of the Almighty. Aren't you glad that's what evangelism is, by the way? You tell folks the truth, you call them to come to Jesus, and then you leave it in God's hands because God is the one who changes human hearts. And we see, folks, this woman has been changed. Her leaving the well and leaving behind the jar is evidence of a change. Her exposing her past is evidence of her change. Her inviting others to meet the Messiah is evidence of a change. This woman has been reached by Jesus and it shows. The first point that I made here, the first one you should have written down, is that Jesus changes our lives. When somebody has an encounter with Jesus, their lives are changed for all time. They're never quite the same again, and they honestly should be happy to be changed. Their old defenses, their old perceived needs diminish in the light of the greatness and the glory of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Just like the woman at the well, genuine Christians, Paul says, are different than they ever were before. The old is gone. New has come. If you are here this morning, I want you to ask yourself about your own life. Ask yourself, are you different than what you used to be? Has has something changed? Has the old gone? Is your life new in Christ? Do you have in your heart in your life, interest in the things of God in your soul. Jesus promises living water to those who come to him and ask. And one who drinks of that water is not the same. You want to test the reality of the profession of your faith? Ask yourself, am I different now than before I professed faith. Ask yourself, are there values in me that would not be mine did I not have Jesus? If you look at your life and you see yourself as different, then take a moment even right now to praise Jesus, thanking him for making you new. Thank him for changing you from who you were to who you're becoming in him. And ask him to work in your heart to help you keep that process going. Sanctification, that, the idea of growing in Christ, it's a long process, isn't it? It is fraught with ups and downs along the way. Y'all, there are going to be days, weeks, when it is hard, seemingly impossible work. But God gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us to continue in the ongoing day-by-day, step-by-step change process. 
But if you look at your life this morning and there's nothing in you that's different, if you're still the very same as you've always been, maybe it's time for you to meet the Savior. He's willing to give you living water. He's willing to make the old things pass away and new things come in your heart and soul. Come to Jesus in faith. Let's see what he'll do to change your life from self-centered to God-centered, from self-destructive to eternally living in the kingdom of God, from finding meaning in the little pleasures of life to finding true meaning in the glory of the God who created you. And besides Jesus doing this work in the life of the woman, we also begin to see that the people of the town are impacted by the woman's testimony. They hear her words, they know her past, and they're amazed. And they want to go with her to the well to meet this stranger. Could he be the Messiah? Now before we find out how the people respond exactly, we need to watch Jesus teach some important stuff to his disciples. So point number two this morning, Jesus is driven by the will of God. Jesus is driven by the will of God. Look at 31 to 34. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Again, we see Jesus here taking something normal, something physical, and turning it into a spiritual discussion. After the woman leaves, the disciples want Jesus to eat. Remember, they went into town. They left Jesus exhausted at the well just a little bit ago. And now that he's free from whatever that woman wanted... He should, in their minds, be free to have, a, have lunch. But Jesus refuses. He's more concerned about something else. His mind is not on the needs of his body. Instead, the mind of Jesus is on that woman headed off to the village and on those villagers soon to join him at the well. The disciples are confused wondering if Jesus somehow picked up a snack along the way. And they're missing the point, just as the woman missed the point of living water, just as Nicodemus missed the point of being born again. The disciples are only thinking about physical food for Jesus, and they're missing that something vastly more important is taking place at that very moment. Jesus said that his food was to do God's will. He let his body know he, he let his body know in no uncertain terms God's will and God's glory outweigh his body's need for nourishment. That's not to say Jesus was going to neglect his responsibility to be a good steward of his body, but Jesus was not dominated by his drives, even if they're real needs. Matthew 4, 4, when rebuking the devil, Jesus said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In Job 23, 12, Job, rebuking his friends, says, I 
have not departed from the commandment of his, God's, lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Can you imagine, Christian, treasuring the word from God more than your necessary food? 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul says, But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Have you ever wondered, by the way, Christians, why do people, why do people fast? That's a weird thing to do, don't you think? I mean, be honest, fasting is weird. One reason people fast is to show themselves, even to show their bodies, that the will and work of God is more important than their physical desires. We live in a very drive-based, urge-based world. Psychologists preach need hierarchies that claim that your physical drives like hunger and sex force you into behaviors, even behaviors that the Bible calls sinful. And sometimes we give in to those things and sometimes we give in to the psychologist's practices and we let ourselves be defined by our needs. But listen to me, God never gives us that kind of an out. Fasting is one way to practice letting go of your physical needs that you might focus more strongly on the spiritual. In Matthew 6, 31 to 33, Jesus says to his disciples, or to his listeners, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Yes, you have drives. You have needs. But if you want to be like Jesus, you have to learn not to be driven by your drives. You got to not be enslaved by your perceived needs. Instead, be driven by the work of the kingdom of God. And as you see here, God promises in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, He'll give you everything you really need in return. Jesus wasn't focused on the food. He was focused on the will of God. He wanted to see that Samaritan woman and her village in the kingdom of God. And no little lunchtime snack was going to get between him and that glorious moment. So now start thinking with me again in that application time of life. What drives in your life Keep you from the will of God. By the way, I can't answer that for you. Only you know you. What do you give into? What do you, what do you give into assuming you can't help it? Is it food, sleep, sex, your perceived need for comfort, your desire for reputation, your, your desire to imagine and escape and build the world where you're the master? something else today if you're being driven by the world if you're being driven by a hunger for safety or adventure if you're being driven by your body and your urges 
Ask God genuinely to replace your drives, to help you control your urges, to be fed most by his will. Turn from the the world, turn from its drives. Surrender fully to the work of God. I'm not promising you that's an easy process or a short process. And if you need help, I'd love to talk to you about it. But Jesus was driven by the will of God and so should we be. And the work of God that we want to see is is, is described well in the next point. Point number three, Jesus calls us to work in the field of souls. Jesus calls us to work in the field of souls. 35 to 38 say, Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering food for eternal life, for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Jesus here tells the disciples their mindset. It's a little off. They're looking for a harvest to come someday. They're thinking ahead to a time Maybe when Jesus will draw people to himself and set up the kingdom of God right here, right now. Oh, that day is going to be a glorious day. They're looking off to the future and their minds and hearts are stuck way out there. Jesus lets them know the harvest is right here, right now. It's just a different harvest than they expected. Maybe the disciples looked up to see the Samaritans on their way coming out to the well. Jesus says to them, the fields are ready to be harvested. Now, again, all y'all Western people don't know about fields ready to be harvested. I grew up in Illinois. We don't have anything but grain. I mean, it's, it's one of the most boring states to go through if you go through the middle. It's pretty at the bottom and the top, but that's it. When grain, it ripens, it will often show a different color than when it's not yet mature. And in some instances, it gets a little bit lighter in its color, so you can see, oh, it's ready. Well, the Samaritans are coming out of their their town. Maybe they're wearing white because people who live in hot places wear light-colored clothing to get out of the heat, you know? Well, Jesus says, look, guys, The field is white for harvest. It's ready. What's the point of him saying, you say four months and then the harvest, I'm telling you the harvest is now. Well, I would guess that when Jesus spoke this, it was the month of December. Four months later, for physical crops, it's going to be harvest time. But spiritually... Maybe Jesus' disciples thought they're on a stage where we get to wait and we'll see what happens sometime way in the future. Jesus says, no, no, no. The time for the harvest is now. The disciples, they don't need to look for something that they think is a perfect moment. It's just time to share the gospel and see people come into the kingdom of God. And that's a great call for you and me. 
We look, I mean, be honest about it when it comes to sharing your faith. Isn't it true that most of us want a perfect moment to share our faith? I mean, you want the lighting to be just right and the background noise to be just perfect. And then you, you want that stranger in the next booth at the restaurant to turn to you and say, pardon me, you look like a Christian. Can you tell me what I need to do in order to have eternal life too? Now, God could do that, right? He could. But it's more likely he's going to call you and me to work in the fields in the real world where things aren't perfect and where we don't feel like talking and where the background noise is too loud and where somebody's phone buzzes and interrupts the conversation and where God still breaks through all those layers to draw people to himself for his glory. And Jesus lets his disciples into the understanding that not all the work of evangelism is done by one person. The disciples are going to reap a harvest for which they did not work. You know, at times, at times God's going to call you to invest in the lives of people and you will not see the immediate results. But sometimes you may, by the grace of God, get to see the, receive the benefits and see the benefits of work that other people have done. And all of that sowing and all of that reaping is to the glory of God. In 1 Corinthians 3, 4 through 8, Paul was talking about others investing in people in different stages. And he says, Paul says, if one says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos, he says, aren't you being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Now listen to this. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. God has appointed that every Christian labor in the field of souls. We're supposed to be planting seed, watering the fields, and rejoicing in the harvest. Sometimes you will share the gospel with somebody and they will appear to reject it outright. You ever have that experience? Well, you might have planted a seed that's going to be harvested later. Sometimes you have a frustrating conversation with somebody who they've heard the gospel before and they're right on the edge of eternal life, but they just aren't there yet. You ever have that? That might be what they call watering the field. And maybe if you share your faith with people, you get the joy of seeing somebody come into God's kingdom. That's the harvest. But listen, whether you're the planter or the waterer or you reap the harvest, you are part of the process of God bringing people into his kingdom and that is a joyful calling. It's one we should never reject. So today, ask God, how can you better be involved in laboring for the souls of the lost? 
How weird this must have seemed for the disciples. They see Jesus looking for a harvest, but you remember where he is? Jesus is talking about a harvest of Samaritans. The disciples wouldn't have really wanted to welcome these people into God's kingdom. They didn't like Samaritans. But Jesus tells them the sower and the reaper, they're going to rejoice together. Now, that's, you might say, okay, great. But if you know your Old Testament, that should bring to your mind the prophecy of Amos in Amos 9.13. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. And see, now that Jesus has come, the kingdom of God has begun to infiltrate the earth. And the result of God's kingdom coming on earth is going to be the removal of curse, of the curse of sin from the land eventually. Right? When Jesus comes back, he's going to lift the curse completely. That's the promise of that stunning growth of crops with, without, without hardship and all the rest. But, but, if they knew their Old Testament rightly, and the disciples should have, they should know that the coming of the kingdom of God is going to include people from all nations brought together as the one people of God. And that side of the harvest, that building of the people of God from all nations, it has begun. You got Jesus, you got Jewish disciples, and here come a whole bunch of Samaritans. Fourth point, last point for this morning. And it ties to this. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus is the Savior of the world. 39 to 42. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. As this account draws to a close, the people of the village come to the well to meet Jesus, Many of them believed immediately because of the testimony of the woman. They saw something in her and heard something in her words that made them truly believe Jesus must be the Messiah. And during the next couple of days, others spent time with Jesus. Think back to chapter 1. Andrew and John, they go up to Jesus. They say, where are you staying? Jesus just says, come and see. Philip has met Jesus, and he's like, he goes to his brother Nathaniel, I think I found the Christ. Nathaniel says, what? No way. Philip says, come and see. Andrew went to Peter, his brother, remember? We found him. Peter says, really? Andrew says, come and see. Jesus here said, it was the woman said, I found the Messiah. The people come and see. They come and see. And they spent time with Jesus. And they believed. They believed not only because of the woman's words, but because they met Jesus on their own. And they were convinced he's the Son of God. 
Isn't it beautiful, by the way, that Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, stayed with the Samaritan village for two days? Remember, Jews generally hated Samaritans. Samaritans generally returned the favor. How loving is it of Jesus to stay there? See, Jesus is not Savior of the Jews only. Jesus came to bring people from every nation to God. That is his ministry, and that's our calling, to join Jesus in that kind of work. Now, as we step back and we look at this story as a whole, I think it's amazing to see what Jesus did with the life of one adulterous Samaritan woman. He changed her life, just like he's changed my life, and I hope that he's already changed yours. Jesus was driven by a passionate hunger to see God's will accomplished, and I hope you are too. Jesus called his disciples to participate in the harvest of souls being brought into God's kingdom as he calls you and he calls me. And he used the testimony of this woman whose life he changed, whose drives he replaced, whom he called into the work to bring about a true harvest of an entire village brought out of darkness into God's marvelous light. Where do you need to grow this morning? Where do you need to grow? Do you need to have your life changed by Jesus for the first time? If so, I invite you, come to Jesus and seek his grace. He will begin a brand new work in you, and he will make your life new if you will believe in Jesus and ask him, Lord Jesus, I trust you, please save me. Believe that he lived a life free from sin. Believe that he died to pay for your sin. Believe that God rose him from the grave, that he's alive right now. Believe in Jesus and plead with him, please, Jesus, forgive me. He will. But maybe there's something else about you. Maybe you need to have new drives. Maybe you need to stop being driven by this world or by your physical needs or by your desires for things, even, even perhaps good things. If so, you need to ask God, God, change me from the inside out by your spirit that my desire would match your desire. Maybe you need to become more like Jesus and be, be driven by a hunger for the will of God above anything this world has to offer. Maybe you need to fast to start talking to your body and telling your body, hey, you don't get to be the boss of me but instead participate in prayer and fasting for the glory of God. That's one way. Do you need to get involved in the work of evangelism? Here's the secret. You ready? Here's how you do it. Start telling people about Jesus. Maybe you'll plant seeds. Maybe you'll pour the water and help seeds to start taking root. Maybe you get the joy of the harvest. But regardless of how God uses you on this earth, your faithful commitment to share the gospel is something that should you cultivate it, it will make you look more like Jesus. So ask God, God, give me the opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. Be committed that you will share the gospel when the door opens. Who knows that you might not be used like the Samaritan woman to teach a whole group of people that Jesus is the Savior of the world. By the way, that woman, she goes to her village. You ever think to yourself, well, I don't want to tell people about Jesus because they don't want to hear from me? That woman, what was her testimony? 
This man told me everything I ever did. She said that to the men of her village. You understand, don't you, that everything she ever did included sin with many of those men? They did not want to hear that from her. But God used his power, his word, his invitation and saved many people in a village because that woman was bold enough to tell the truth. Tell people about Jesus and ask God to make you a worker in the field of souls. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. God, even now, we're reminded of how gracious you've been to us. And we would ask you, Lord, to use us however you wish for your glory. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are struggling right now because it is not at all uncommon for genuine Christians still to struggle with the drives of the flesh. It's hard. God, have mercy. I pray, Lord, that you will help them to turn from sin and to find a hunger for your kingdom outweighing our hunger that our bodies would tell us, that our bodies would give us. Lord, I pray for those who need to know Jesus that they would. I pray for those who do know Jesus that we would rejoice, that we would repent, that we would recommit ourselves to telling people about the Savior, that we'd be used by you for your glory. Now, Lord, may we sing of your grace and may we be tools in your hand. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.